This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top news and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Members of the Illinois House will convene a special investigative committee to review a utility patronage scandal that implicates House Speaker Michael Madigan. Madigan could testify. Madigan should have been the one to appoint members to the committee Republicans requested through House rules, but he's the subject, so he recused himself. State Representative Chris Welch was tapped by the majority leader to chair the hearings. But, you know, Speaker Madigan is just like any other member of the House. He's entitled to due process and a fair hearing, Uh, and I'm going to make sure that that happens. He said it's not a courtroom, but Madigan will be given a fair shake. Uh, And when someone's accusing him of wrongdoing under our rules, This is the process that is invoked, Uh, and we're going to make sure that Speaker Madigan receives the due process uh, that he deserves uh, and that this this committee does its work in a fair manner. Longtime politics observer Kent Redfield said there will likely be headlines before the elections in November, but doesn't expect an outcome beforehand. He said if there's no outcome before mid-January, they may have to start over under a new General Assembly. Redfield also said it's unlikely the U.S. attorney will let the committee talk with witnesses. Despite recusing himself from picking member for the committee, Madigan said that it was an election year political stunt by Republicans to distract from a, quote, federal administration that's used the White House to prop up Donald Trump's wealthy donors. Committee member, Republican State Representative Dan Mazaki doesn't see the connection of what's going on in Washington, D.C. versus what's going on in the Illinois State House. None of the things that are being discussed in the deferred prosecution agreement involving ComEd have anything to do with what's going on in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, they're based squarely here in the state of Illinois. Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker reacted to Madigan calling the investigative committee a political stunt. I, that's his opinion. I, 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 want to, I want to hear the answers. Pritzker said anyone, including Madigan, the committee may call to testify, should be transparent and answer questions. Dan Mazaki. She hopes it moves quickly. This is an investigative committee, and certainly we want to make sure that, um, you know, we're creating an appropriate record so that the disciplinary committee can go, go forth and make findings based on that. The disciplinary committee has not been named, but the clock is on. Another Republican committee member, State Representative Tom Demmer, said there's sufficient time now to work through the process before next year. Mazaki opted to move quickly. You know, I'm happy to work quickly. Um, 
you know, so that we can move things along. But unfortunately, the, the timing of the schedule, as it usually is, is in the hands of the majority party here. Welch said that they're still ironing out details heading into the long holiday weekend. In fewer than 400 deaths in Illinois so far this year, COVID-19 was the only contributing cause, according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Of the 7,175 total COVID-19-related deaths the CDC reported through August 15th, 396 were listed as COVID-19, being the contributing factor. The rest, more 6,779 COVID-19, was the main cause of death, among other comorbidities. Back on April 19th, Illinois Department of Public Health Director Dr. Ngaze Azike explained what's considered a COVID-19 death if at the time of death there's a positive COVID-19 sample. Um, everyone who's listed as a COVID death doesn't mean that that was the cause of the death, but they had COVID at the time of death. I hope that's helpful. IDPH said deaths due to the cause, such as car crashes, homicides, and suicides, where the individual tested positive for COVID-19, are not included in the count. Sangamon County Public Health Director Gail O'Neill said there is a gray area in some cases. When a death happens right away with, you know, we're notified, well, the death certificate may not be filled out for several days afterwards. And the coroner and myself don't see that till the doctors decide. O'Neill said she's confident local numbers for the death toll are accurate. Many of the deaths are from long-term care facilities where residents often have comorbidities. There was controversy around President Donald Trump retweeting a story over the weekend about that new CDC data indicating only 6% of COVID-19 deaths had the virus listed as the only cause of death. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said Trump was not trying to downplay the virus's impact. He was encouraged by the drop in fatality rates and other positive news. We're encouraged that our therapeutics are working um, and saving lives thanks to the hard work of President Trump tearing down bureaucratic numbers. Antiviral drugs like remdesivir are working, said HSHS St. John's Hospital Chief Medical Officer Dr. Gurpreet Mander. He said hospitals in Springfield have also been using plasma treatments on patients with success. As for outpatients, mainly fluids, uh, supportive treatment, uh, fever control, and rest. I mean, those are the mainstays of treatment. There is no medication which um, is, um, you know, recommended for outpatient prescription at this point. Dr. Deborah Burks, a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, stopped in Illinois Tuesday to address virus numbers in the state. Kevin Bessler was there. The Centers for Disease Control recently released figures showing 94% of COVID-19 deaths involved additional health conditions. If you had those pre-existing conditions, you were more likely to have a serious outcome from this virus. Um, all the CDC has done is said that is true not only in Europe, but it's true in America. When asked if the White House or states need to change policies because of the new data, Burke said people should remain vigilant and act as if everyone has an underlying health condition. I can't tell by looking at you, do you have diabetes? Do you have hypertension? I can't tell. Burke said she's primarily concerned with rural areas of Illinois that have seen a spike in cases while recommending social distancing and mask use. I'm Kevin Bessler. As he's done before other major holidays during the COVID-19 pandemic, Governor J.B. Pritzker is requesting people not to have Labor Day gatherings in an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19 more than five months in. Pritzker brought out several medical professionals to back him in his continued mitigation efforts. UI Health Infectious Disease doctor Susan Bleasdale said there aren't many options to slow the spread. We may see somewhat of a seesaw back and forth of opening activities and closing activities, but this is really important until we get an effective vaccine and treatment. 
turning things off and on and off again is what's happened in the Metro East area. Republican State Senator Paul Schempf said using the positivity rate is not the best method. Closing businesses back down, making things much more difficult for people based on an unreliable metric that tells us the least about you know, the factor that we should be monitoring, whether or not our medical capacity can handle this. As of Wednesday, of nearly 35,000 hospital beds statewide, there were nearly 1,600 taken by a COVID-19 patient. There were 13,000 available beds statewide. Pritzker criticized people he called virus deniers and said he doesn't want people to die. People are dying every day from this horrible virus, and thousands who've recovered are still suffering from life-threatening pulmonary and cardiac symptoms. But that kind of thinking's dismissing people impacted by other outcomes from the government's reaction closing sectors of the economy. Addictions expert and author Mark Sheeran said opioid overdose deaths correlate with the shutdowns and have increased more than 40% or up to 30,000 more nationwide. If people were looking at this currently, they would probably change the policy because the, it seems that the lockdown cure is causing unintended consequences that's worse than the virus. There are other negative societal outcomes from the shutdowns Sheeran mentioned, including increased suicides and unaccounted for domestic and child abuse. Illinois could be on the verge of entering phase five of the governor's COVID-19 reopening plan if the goalposts don't change. Back on May 5th, Governor J.B. Pritzker revealed his five-phase reopening plan after nearly two months of stay-at-home orders. His plan four months ago laid out what would relax all restrictions. The only way that we can cross into phase five, Illinois restored, with all the sectors of the economy running with completely normal operations, is with a vaccine. He also said phase five of his plan could come about with a widely available therapy or the elimination of cases over time. The White House said the CDC sent notice to states to start preparing for a vaccine, but displays Democratic State Senator Laura Murphy had concerns. Just personally, watching the news, I, I'm concerned at what's coming out of the CDC right now. And it seems like a lot of conflicting information. White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany said reports they're pressuring officials to move it along are theories spun by some media outlets. This president wants to break through regulatory barriers to get a vaccine as safely as, to the American people as quickly as possible because lives are at stake, but he will not in any way uh, sacrifice safety um, and making sure that this is 100% airtight. Governor J.B. Pritzker's reopening plan lifts all restrictions if there's a vaccine. Pritzker last month said when a vaccine's ready, he doesn't expect it to be required to attend schools. No, I can't imagine that. What I do think is that once a vaccine is available, I think many, many people will want to get vaccinated. Um, we obviously want to get to herd immunity. A WebMD poll suggests even with growing acceptance of the idea of a COVID-19 vaccine, less than a third would actually take it right away. And those are the top stories of the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois and Focus's Crosstalk segment. This is Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois, joined by my friend and colleague, Dan McCaleb. 
executive editor of the Center Square. Danny, what is going on? Man, heading into a holiday weekend. Uh, Labor Day, of course, this weekend. Thank you to all you the essential workers out there um, in healthcare and and food delivery and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you deserve a day off. Hopefully, you're able to get one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I guess as we look back at this year, we never really thought we would be where we are right now. Um, in some ways, I think we've are farther ahead than than we thought that we would be, and in other ways, I feel like we're way behind. Well, it's Labor Day, but it's still March, right? <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. And I mean, one of the stories that was that was hanging around in 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 February, and or I should say that sort of kind of came to the fore in February, and uh, has been delayed by COVID, is the investigation into Public Official A, Michael Madigan, uh, Speaker of the House, long. For forever, basically, he's been Speaker of the House. Uh, you know, I think since uh, biplane airplanes and whatnot. But um, connected to this this ComEd energy scandal, uh, finally, the Illinois House is doing something about it from an investigative standpoint. They put a committee together to just make a determination of what Madigan's role was in. The, uh, the procurement of uh, legislation uh, for comment, or if he was involved in the in 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 some way uh, manipulating outcomes to get comment what it wanted. Why don't you bring us up to speed on that? <clears throat> well, um, comments already admitted uh, in paying two hundred million dollars uh, to back its admission um, that it curried favor with Speaker Madigan. Uh, and uh, for him to support legislation that would help uh, help the utility. That much is clear. Um, ever since that admission last month, Republicans have been calling for hearings to investigate uh, the situation. Um, Democrats have, of course, resisted. Well, now uh, Republicans used uh, Speaker Madigan's own House rules against him uh, to form an investigative committee that's going to start hearings looking into actually how Michael Madigan, uh, what his ties were um, to ComEd um, that led them to uh, uh, agreeing to a deferred prosecution agreement, um, which is essentially pleading guilty um, and, and paying a $200 million fine. So how these uh, hearings are going to work, that remains to be seen, but they need to be public. Um, Madigan can be and should be uh, called before the committee and answer uh, tough questions that he's been hiding from uh, ever since the announcement uh, uh, of the deal between federal prosecutors and ComEd uh, occurred. Yeah, who's forcing the issue here, and 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 how will this play out? I mean, the 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 people that my understand that the 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 people um, who will be sort of conducting these hearings. I mean, they're 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 Democrats, right? I mean, it, it's so it's a mix. Yeah, it's a mix of Democrats and Republicans, but uh, Democrats, uh, particularly Senate or State Representative Emmanuel Chris Welch, um, will presiding over the hearings. So okay. he will have the power um, to steer the meetings how he wants. Uh, everybody in this state um, needs to know the truth. Um, and anything short of that um, uh, would be uh, another uh, injustice on taxpayers and voters in the state. And what's the timing looking like? Uh, no hearings have been scheduled yet. Um, my understanding is, though, of course, uh, there's an election November 3rd where all state House members uh, are up for re-election. Um, they get 
the winners of the election. Now, the majority of the, the seats are uncontested, so it's largely going to be the same uh, uh, the same House makeup with, with some new members, of course. Um, but it has to be concluded by the time the new members are sworn in in January. Otherwise, a different committee would need to be formed. So they don't have a whole right. lot of time here. But 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 the likelihood of this happening before the election is what you know at this point as as you read the tea leaves on this is is this going to happen before before the first week of November? Uh, slim and none. I'm sh- yeah. I'm sure the Democrats are going to um, stall this thing out as long as they can. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's um, it'll be interesting to see w- what comes on. I think that the, the you know the the way I understand it, you know, Michael Madigan uh, released a statement. Um, and really didn't give anybody in his party a heads up. So they were left to sort of scramble to put that together, um, you know, put together, you know, their, their statement about what he had said. And it's, uh, this is, a this is, this is very interesting political theater, if nothing else right now. And that's, and that's why these hearings are, are needed. Speaker Madigan has not, has barely been seen from since the beginning of the pandemic, um, let alone since July when these, uh, these charges were, were announced and, and Speaker Madigan was implicated in the charges, uh, he needs to answer questions. He hides behind statements. He's released statements. As all he's done uh, is release statements. He hasn't been behind a microphone answering questions from whether it be reporters or House Republicans or House Democrats about what exactly he did uh, in this ComEd scandal. He needs to be held accountable. Um, he needs to answer tough questions. Now, the one thing that, not the one thing, I mean, the fact that the Democrats are controlling the hearings uh, uh, has me um, underwhelmed by this. But um, Republican minority leader of the House, Jim Durkin, um, he spearheaded uh, this call for these in, this investigative committee to, to be formed. He has said that he will not interfere with uh, federal government's uh, investigation into this. Mm-hmm. This investigation is still ongoing, and that probably means that um, uh, witnesses that um, the federal government has already talked to and that led to, to the ComEd uh, charges likely will not be called. So the likelihood that we're going to get the full truth from these hearings is is not very good, but at the same time, they need to happen. This, yeah. These hearings uh, and this investigation needs to happen. Yeah. Are we, is this late in the game? I mean, can you criticize Republicans for not pushing harder for this sooner? I mean, Absol- uh, I mean, absolutely. yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, September. you know, we're, we're taping this. It, it is what September 3rd today, you know, we're heading into Labor Day weekend. The, the ComEd story it, itself broke what? Early July. Yeah. I was going to say it's like six, it was almost 60 days ago. And so, you know, you've got an election that's coming up and and certainly in that quote unquote political window, the 60 days before the election, virtually nothing in government happens. Everybody plays duck and cover. And I mean, on both sides of the aisle, you know, because it's just unless, of course, there's an opportunity to, to, to leverage something if you're a, you know, if you're an underdog in a, in a race. I mean, um, but if you're an incumbent, you know, you're largely going to be in the bunker um, trying to ride this, ride, ride it out. And it's not just this year. It's not 2020 that you could say the same thing for 2018, 2016, 2014, and so on and so on. So it's kind of, um, disappointing from a reaction standpoint, uh, on the Republican side that they didn't pull the levers that they could have pulled sooner. Just odd. 
Minority Leader Gherkin and other Republicans probably should have invoked House Rule 99, which is the rule that um, that created this investigative committee the day after we were made aware um, of ComEd's deferred prosecution agreement. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair to 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 Durkin, you know, I, I, I don't know if they didn't know about the rule and, and how it worked, or I just don't know if it took a long time to prepare the paperwork for it. I, I don't know, but it seems like two months is more than is, is too long. This should have happened at least weeks ago. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, um, the, we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously the center square is keenly uh, focused on what goes on in, in Springfield and across the state. I don't think there's been a bigger, frankly, a bigger story outside of COVID in the state of Illinois this year uh, than the, the ComEd scandal. So I, I look forward to seeing that. Speaking of COVID, you know, the, the CDC last week um, announced that it had reclassified uh, the death count in the in the um, U.S., so across the entire country, uh, to isolate COVID-only deaths from the from the total count, which is in the neighborhood of, I believe at this point, it's, it's somewhere between 180 and 190,000. But when they when they isolated the count, it was fewer than nine thousand people in the United States had died, you know, per death certificates, uh, solely from the effects of COVID nineteen. That means they didn't have other comorbidities. That they there wasn't any other you know contributing factor. But the person who you know passed away uh, had COVID nineteen. We took that data and we applied it at the center square to data here in Illinois. And what we learned, and this is Greg Bishop's reporting, um, certainly Brett Rowland had a hand in this too, that there are fewer than 400 COVID-exclusive deaths in, in Illinois of the now 8,800 or so. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm not getting that number right. I think that that number is, is, is still under 9,000 here in the state of Illinois. Yeah, and, and, and the CDC data was through... Um, uh, August 15th. So any deaths that have occurred past right. that, that these numbers, will roll. These numbers yeah. will, will roll forward, obviously. Right. But it's kind of, I think for the benefit of people and their understanding, I mean, you know, you know, just to, to have some clarity around, you know, who has been truly impacted by this and, and how this disease has done what it's done. This is not at all to discount the lives that have been lost. But it's, I think it's vital information and vital to our understanding of what we're really up against uh, with regard to, uh, to COVID-19 as, as, an, as an illness. Yes, what our reporting found was that uh, the Illinois numbers generally mirror the national numbers. And that is 94% of those who have, who have been listed as died of COVID-19 had other, uh, other health conditions other underlying health conditions such as respiratory illness, diabetes, heart right. disease, um, maybe, maybe or met, possibly others. And um, the CDC report that of those 94% who are listed as, as having died of COVID-19, but also had other health conditions, they had at least, or they had an average, on average, 2.6 uh, additional conditions uh, per death. So what, obviously a person can't have two, and an individual can't have 2.6 um, right. percent of other Some conditions. They had two or there, they had two or three. Some had two or three. On average, comorbidities. Underlying health, yeah, under, right. underlying health conditions. Um, 
And so what this does is it further reinforces that healthy people generally are at very low risk if, if they contract COVID-19 of um, having serious health issues, including death. People who are vulnerable are those who have multiple underlying health conditions. Right. Of course, we've talked about nursing home deaths and, and the, 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 the elderly. People over 70 are the vast majority of people who have died um, from this disease. And as you get older, as you, as you get older, um, your, your immune system weakens, your body weakens, and your body organs sometimes uh, weaken. So they are the ones who generally have uh, multiple underlying health conditions. Now, right. certainly some young, young, younger people, there's plenty of people in the United States who have diabetes and, and have health issues and whatnot, but those are the ones that we, we should be protecting. Those are the ones who should protect themselves um, uh, first and foremost. Right. But these, these government shot, shutdowns, these stay at home orders, um, th these restrictions that uh, put, uh, millions, tens of millions of Americans out of work, most of them healthy and younger, um, were not necessary. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's nothing short of a, of a revelation. I mean, just to, to understand, you know, what the numbers mean, because as the numbers get larger, they, I mean, I think they become ominous. And then, you know, we, a lot of media has reported, you know, the number of tests and the number of positives. And I think that the, the that, you know, we've been overwhelmed by what amounts to be esoteric data. And this allows, I think, a, a reasonable person to, to take a look and to understand more clearly of, you know, wh why they should be doing, you know, mitigation, who, who ultimately, you know, needs to be protected the most and gives people access to make better choices uh, for their lives. Now, that said, um, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, uh, who has, you know, been part of the core team, you know, around COVID-19, you know, uh, in, uh, President Trump's, um, contingent, uh, she and Dr. Fauci, you know, been sort of the most out front people. She came to Illinois and I believe that it was like, she was in the midst of a whistle stop tour heading into Labor Day weekend. So she was in Illinois, stopped in Chicago. She was also going to, you know, the, you know, some of the other places around the Midwest where numbers are spiking largely to talk about mitigation. But when we, when we asked her and we, when we had a chance to, to sit and speak with her, when we asked her questions about uh, the policy side of this really didn't have uh, a whole lot to, to, to offer. Uh, she essentially, she essentially dodged the question, just encouraged, yeah, you know, what 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 they've been saying all along encourages people to wear masks, um, to to socially distance, um, remain six feet apart, not gather in large groups. Uh, it it was essentially a, a marketing campaign heading into Labor Day weekend. Of course, um, the last big holiday weekend of the summer, people like to get together for barbecues. Um, people like to, you know, have a adult beverage or two, and just generally have fun heading into the fall. Um, and, uh, she, she didn't really speak to the new C CDC, uh, information. Um, just, it, it served as, as, as I said, a, a marketing campaign to promoting, uh, the mitigation efforts that the CDC is recommending. So what's going on with regard to Illinois and restrictions? It seems like, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the communities that are having problems, um, with, uh, COVID numbers, uh, and not to, 
just pick on the Metro East, but the Metro East is, seems like it really is just just kind of can't get out of its own way on this. What has uh, uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker had to say about this and what's sort of on the table now? Uh, because uh, new restrictions are in place. Some some communities are moving forward, uh, but there are other communities that are moving backward at this time. Well, Governor Pritzker's come come under a lot of criticism over the uh, last week for playing politics um, in making in his decision making processes. Um, you mentioned the Metro East uh, area um, has had rising uh, numbers of COVID cases and rising numbers of uh, percentages of positive cases. Um, well, he put he he made the Metro East uh, take steps back because of uh, that, um, putting new restrictions in place. Um, but they weren't anywhere near um, as restrictive as what he put in on the uh, Kankakee region in the uh, southwest suburbs of Chicago, a, a largely more Republican area. Um, uh, he put even a further uh, wider set of restrictions on the Kankakee area than he did on the Metro East region. And um, uh, Democrats in the Metro East region took credit for it. They, they, uh, uh, they took to social media and, and wrote that uh, they worked to combat the additional restrictions set to be imposed by the Illinois Department of P Public Health. So Democrats essentially influenced the Democratic governor um, to not put as, as tough of restrictions on the Metro East area as he did on the Kankakee area. And the Kankakee area's numbers are very similar to the Metro East area. It's it's been a it's been a strange week, and I mean one of one of the sort of like to step the to step outside of Illinois for a second. I mean you got the mayor of Philadelphia, who got caught eating in an indoor dining facility in in I believe it was in Maryland. Uh, you had House Speaker Nancy Pelosi um, going into a salon that that was ordered closed for a a, a private uh, you know um, hair appointment. And it's the, I think it's maybe the, the arbitrary nature of the rules, plus the examples that people in authority are, are, are setting that just has people, you know, I, I think that, 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 that those two factors have people confused. Well, it's, it's complete hypocrisy. The same Democratic leaders um, who say who are saying we need these restrictions in place to slow the, the, the spread of this deadly disease are violating um, their area's own restrictions so they can benefit from it. Um, it it's hypocrisy at its worst. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I just find it to be really, really confusing for the general public who I think by and large wants to do its part uh, to try to get us to get us through this. Um, but the messages are, are absolutely mixed and, and like I said, uh, confusing. Um, that, another you know, thing I want to talk about on this front, though, too. Yeah. Center, we learned this week that the Centers for Disease, Disease Control and Prevention um, is, is telling states to prepare for the potential distribution of a coronavirus vaccine as soon as late October. Now, that seems a little optimistic to me, but it, it's very possible that we could have a vaccine for COVID um, by the end of the year, which is encouraging news. Um, Governor Pritzker has said um, he won't move to phase five, which totally reopens the economy um, uh, until there is a vaccine uh, that's uh, produced. Um, so um, it, unless he it, it moves the goalposts again, which he has done, done throughout this pandemic, um, uh, we, we could be seeing 
the reopening of the entire economy before 2021. Yeah, I mean, I guess it'll be a, a wait and see. And, you know, mean, meanwhile, you know, if you've walked into your local grocery store or into your local pharmacy, you know, you've probably seen signs or actually been waved down by, you know, the pharmacist and asked if you want to have this year's flu vaccine. Let's be clear. These are two different things. The flu vaccine is, you know, a, a vaccine that's created from the most recent strain of flu that, that, that you know, that we had, um, you know, which would have been like, I guess it would have been the 2019-2020. This is the 2020-21 uh, prevention vaccine that is available now. And, um, you know, I mean, of course, you should consult with your family practice physician or your, your primary care doctor about whether that's the right thing for you or, or now is the right time to be taking it. But in all likelihood, the, the, the uh, COVID-19 vaccine, if it is delivered in the calendar year, probably, you know, I think would be, I'm going to just lay it out there and guess it's going to be December, you know, before that that becomes widely available. And uh, then there's going to be the question of how much of that vaccine is 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 available to, for the general public. Who should get it? Um, and then certainly, you know, the people who like to debate vaccines, uh, I think there'd be a question for them of whether they will get it. Um, and and that leads me into sort of like the next thing I wanted to talk about with you was was schools. Um, you know, one of the sort of like I want to say underlying conversations around, you know, returning to normal, not this new normal that, that some people are preaching, but returning to normal, getting kids back into schools, which for the most part around the state is, is, is not, has not happened, um, would be the availability of a vaccine to allow that to occur. Um, what's your take on that? And, uh, and, and just overall, where do, where do you see things, you know, with regard to to uh, educational settings uh, thus far, a couple of weeks into the school year here. Right. Well, in, in, in our area, generally, um, uh, all, most or all of the school districts, of course, there's 850 school districts, uh, more than 850 school districts in the state of Illinois, which is a joke in and of itself. Um, but each district has been granted permission to decide on their own how they're going to um, uh open schools. Most of them are now open, of course. Um, uh, most of the districts in our area are doing remote learning exclusively. Kids are not in the classroom um, uh, through at least the beginning of October. While there have been reports that remote learning is going a little bit better than it did in the spring, it's still far from perfect. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just take my daughter's school, for example. She takes all of her classes uh, on Mondays and then for the rest of the week, um, she takes half her classes on Tuesday and Thursday and half of her classes on Wednesday and Friday. Why is that? If you can take all of your classes on Monday, why are you splitting up, uh, div dividing the, the courses into two and only taking them um, twice a week after that? I don't understand that. Yeah. Um, certainly students are going to fall behind. I, I've said on this show before, my daughter's a senior. She's actually... Um, on her way with my wife to Texas uh, today to go visit a couple colleges down in Texas. Um, she needs to complete her, her full senior year um, to be prepared to go to college. Right. And uh, so my hope is that come October, they, they will uh, bring students back to class. They will get back to a more uh, normal schedule. 
but the way things change in 2020, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's fascinating. I mean, I, w- I will tell you as a parent of elementary age kids, you know, that this remote learning, a full-time remote learning is a, is a real drag. I mean, for the people that are out there, you know, who have a couple zoom call meetings a day, you know, I mean, they're exhausting. I mean, they're, they're frankly, they're exhausting. I mean, um, it's, it can be difficult to pay attention at, you know, as an, as an adult, even if you're engaged in a subject that you, that you care about trying to keep an entire team, you know, talking about the same thing, focused on what's going on. People are, are trying to do this from their homes. There are things that are happening in their homes. I mean, it's not like, you know, they're, you know, at the beginning of the day, you know, everybody else in your house leaves and you stay home and you just work from, from home and, you know, by yourself, that's not the case. There's just stuff happening in the background. This remote learning, um, thus far, as I've as I've witnessed it, I, I, I applaud what efforts are being made uh, by teachers to to try to make the best of it. It's just it's awful. I mean, it's just it's simply it's draining. And uh, you know, at the same time, we're you know, and I've said this before. At the same time, you know, if you're a parent uh, in the age that we live in, you're trying like heck to get your kids away from screens, away from TV, away from their phone, away from iPads and, and, and other things where they're just sort of locked in. Um, this is forcing them to be on an iPad or a laptop for, for what amounts to be hours, hours a day. It just, Oh, it just, it's just, it just doesn't work. doesn't work for me. Well, and I can understand that. Um, and, it, you know, a number of private schools around the state and around the country um, have reopened to in-person learning. Classrooms are open. Kids are going to school. Um, now, I certainly haven't checked on every single uh, school across the country, but you're not hearing about widespread uh, COVID-19 um, uh, concerns uh, in those settings. Um I guess I should have done some more research before I stated that, but I, I, there's, I'm not seeing a wide number of news stories saying private schools are having uh, a rampant rise in cases. Yeah. And, and even at the, these universities where, where the numbers are high, uh, it seems like the universities are figuring out a way to, to soldier forward. Um, might be just, you know, the age of the, of the people. I mean, imagine trying to get an 18 to, 22 or 23 year old person to kind of conform uh, in a college environment, not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Completely but, different though, from the secondary, secondary and elementary oh, education. You're talking about young kids who aren't going to bars, uh, who aren't going to house parties um, right. and drinking, who aren't adults uh, yet uh, who think they're invincible. So it's understandable that this is going to happen on college campuses, but some, some campuses uh, have dealt with it better than others. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, you know, one of the, I think, very welcome distractions uh, this summer has been the return of baseball, which has, I think, in our markets, you know, Chicago and, and, and St. Louis has really been kind of like a worthwhile distraction. You know, the, the Cubs and the White Sox are having terrific years. The Cardinals they they lost more than a week's worth of games to you know to um, uh, COVID positive tests, but they've resumed playing. They they have eight games in hand. Uh, 
to the uh, to the Chicago Cubs, who are twenty two and fourteen. The Cardinals are fourteen and fourteen as we we tape this. White Sox are a game out of first place. The Cubs are in first place. It's kind of cool. Yeah, with this and with this expanded uh, playoffs, uh, um, it, it's looking like both both Chicago teams, um, possibly the Cardinals, uh, are going to make the playoffs. And and when was was there, has there ever been a, a, a White Sox versus Cubs World Series? That would Absolutely be kind of cool. Not. We should bring in baseball historian, uh, IRN producer. John Spataro, he of the State Lines Gaming Podcast, and uh, kind of get a grip on what's going on with baseball. John, welcome to the program. Wow, my, my title seems to grow in stature and uh, importance almost every yeah. time I come on the show. Wait till next time. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to pat myself too much on the back right off the bat, but if we go back into, I think, the first time we talked about baseball – I was projecting upwards of 35 wins, I, I think, for both the Cubs and the Sox. Uh, they're just over 20 right now with about 20, 25 games left to play. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm a bright, uh, young baseball mind and, and I'm tuned into these teams. But uh, looks but like I'm going to be a, a pretty good oracle for that. Yeah, you kind of are saying that, John. <laughs> and I mean, don't don't bruise yourself on that back padding. My goodness. So I mean, what what what's going right for the Cubs and the Sox? And 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 let's talk about the Cardinals a little bit because I I think that you know that that's a team that's uh, that's worth paying attention to, especially with the number of games that it has left to play. Right, and, and you know the biggest thing for me between all three of these teams is just the fact that um, you know they're they're playing, and and you guys were just talking about. You know, taking evidence or, or, or looking at, you know, how school reopenings are going or looking how numbers are coming down across the state. And there was so much talk about, you know, playing a baseball season would be impossible. And specifically, if a team were to get uh, a few positive tests, it would derail not only that team, but the rest of the league. And specifically in Illinois, uh, you know, between the Cubs, Cardinals and White Sox, we, we've seen a little bit of everything, specifically with the Cardinals being shut down for a good stretch of time, like you guys mentioned. Uh, but I think the MLB and specifically all three teams here in, in Illinois' demographic, um, you know, deserve a lot of credit for getting a plan on the books, traveling, doing some things that other leagues aren't even considering. Uh, but adhering to that plan for the most part and and getting the games up on the board, the on-field action has been great. The Sox are a young, exciting team. The Cubs are still finding ways to win, although they're getting a little bit older. And the Cardinals, you know, all things considered, I'd say being 500 at a point where you took a, a three-week or two-and-a-half-week hiatus in the middle of your season is about as good as you can do. So if you're yeah. a baseball fan in, in the state, you got to be happy with the fact that looks like everyone's going to get their games in and they're actually games worth watching for once. How are the Cardinals? Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say major league baseball is getting it done. Um, Unlike the NBA and the NHL, they're not in a bubble. As you said, they are uh, traveling. So there is a way to get this thing done. The NFL season opens um, a week from Sunday. Um, So, and they're not, of course, uh, in a bubble. They've had limited uh, COVID-19 cases after being in camp for a couple of weeks. So uh, they're proving you can get this stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Just to close the loop on that question, you know, like a team like the Cardinals that have, that have fallen that many games behind, 
they're going to have a lot of double headers uh, that they're going to have to play. It's going to be sort of interesting to see how they navigate through through that because I mean they there are only X number of days in which these games can be played, and I don't remember what the what the number was, but the Cardinals obviously are eight games, uh, you know, still uh, to be played from where they should be at this time. How how are they going to do that? Well. I know I'm talking to two um, somewhat self-proclaimed baseball purists. I know that, you know, Chris, you're a National League fan. You were very against the DH coming into the mix. Uh, but that seems to be, you know, a, a long afterthought at this point. I think everyone's in agreement that that's been a pretty good addition Never in the short away. season. It's going to be there and, forever. And another thing that's coming through is these seven-inning doubleheaders. You know, to compensate for missed games, the MLB decided that they're going to play a couple – scheduled double headers usually on on weekdays or weekends and uh they they have two seven inning games back to back and the reviews from at least from what i can tell from the players on the field to people watching it have been spectacular they like the shorter games they like the the combination of a quick uh two game showdown with you know less pitching deeper into these uh bullpens every single day so it, it seems like that could have a little bit of weight even beyond the shortened season but to answer your, your question chris it, i think you're going to see more of those and, and i'm sure the cardinals are gonna um you know enjoy their last two off days left because they've got to play i think close to i think there are 28 games which would put them at 32 to get done before the end of the month. So they've got a long road ahead of them. One last question for me. Do you think a team like the Cardinals, who are playing a lot of seven-inning doubleheaders, you think uh, that somehow gives them an advantage, particularly for their pitching staffs, fewer innings uh, pitched uh, during the season, fresher arms in the offseason if they make it? I would say in a normal season, yes, although I think that most of that you know freshness advantage has been uh, mitigated by the fact that they have these taxi squads now and every team is essentially rostering 40 plus players and could bring them up and bring them in no matter what. So it, truthfully, an MLB bullpen right now is operating at close to twice the size of a normal season. So yeah, there's going to be a little bit less wear and tear for maybe the starters because you can mix and match to get 14 innings done compared to 18 innings in a, in a normal doubleheader. But I, I don't think it's going to be really noticeable because most of these guys are getting cycled through. There's a lot of new arms coming up. There's a lot of guys going on the disabled list and coming off. So there's been a lot of turnover in a lot of these teams that's going to keep, I think, most people fresh. And I think that's by design. I think MLB wants everybody, if they're going to do a sprint season and an expanded playoff, they really want everybody healthy. They want a full month in October to just be full strength. Everybody has their guys and, and give us as much playoff baseball as they can. Well, I like I like where it's headed, to be honest with you. And I think that, that Major League Baseball, the few hiccups they've had at the beginning aside, uh, they've they've done a pretty good job of of proving, as Dan said, that you can make you can make it work. You just have to do things a little bit differently um, at this time. So, um, John, I appreciate you stopping by, and thanks as always for your insights. Of course, see you next time, Dan. It's been great. Uh, it's probably time to say uh, farewell. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Um, see you next week. I appreciate that. You as well. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to Commentary, the Crosstalk segment powered by the Center Square. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square Illinois will be working on next week.
Next week, after the Labor Day holiday weekend, we'll continue to unpack what's at stake for the November election, track the latest developments in the investigation of House Speaker Michael Madigan, and the latest impacts of COVID-19. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories online at thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.